This program is brought to you by the Provost Teaching Fellows at the Faculty Innovation Center of the University of Texas at Austin. Okay. We're good. Okay, we're good. We're good. So, Siobhan, this is our first time doing this with the phone recordings, so that's why we're all, like, spazzy about it. Okay. It's a backup. Backup plan. It's a backup plan. It's a backup plan. plan. Unfortunately, that sounds a little like famous last words. All right, y'all ready? It's a backup plan. Who we are as people shapes who we are as teachers. About how our lived experience informs our teaching. Uh, we can be flexible and adapt and change this. You're, you're free to do that. We don't have to have it perfect. We are about getting folks together from all walks of teaching life. The key phrase you, you suggest there is it, it has to be done collectively. We have so much to learn from the other side of campus. <laughs> from the University of Texas at Austin, this is the other side of campus. Hi, I'm Stephanie Seidel Holmston, Assistant Professor of Instruction in the College of Liberal Arts. Hi, I'm Jen Moon, Associate Professor of Instruction in the College of Natural Sciences. And I'm Dixie Stanforth, Professor of Instruction in the Department of Kinesiology and Health Education. Our guest today is Siobhan McCusker. Siobhan is the museum educator for the university audience at the Blanton Museum of Art at the University of Texas at Austin. She's an artist, an educator with a diverse background from working with artists in South African contemporary gallery spaces and printmaking studios to mentoring painting and new media students, as well as lecturing in art history at the Witt School of Art in Johannesburg. Welcome, Siobhan. Thank you so much. It's a, a wonderful opportunity and thank you for letting me come and share a fantastic sunny Austin afternoon with you all. Let's start out by asking you a little bit about how you came to the Blanton. What was your path here? Sure. So a very unusual path in many instances. I don't have a museum background. My background is in studio and art history. And through a series of serendipitous opportunities, I moved between the US and Johannesburg three times. So it was a big shift. It took us 15 years between this kind of transatlantic move. And each time I was trying to find my feet in the art world, And in this last relocation, we landed up in Austin. I was fortunate enough to fall in love with the Blanton and first first entry, I met the Director of Education, Ray Williams. I was able to be a volunteer at the museum. And through that exposure and experience, I was poised to apply for a position when it became available. And so Siobhan, how long have you been at the Blanton? Dixie, I have joyously been here for six years. So I just made my six-year anniversary in February, and it's been a crazy and glorious roller coaster of learning and creativity and teaching. And so it's, I have to admit, it's the longest duration I've ever stuck at a job. Because of that kind of artist temperament, I've always really sought out kind of individual projects and the ability to work a little more freely, not so constrained in a in a kind of formal work um, situation, but it's really testament to the diverse opportunities that I have in my role, that creativity is imbued in every single thing I do every day, every week. Well, I have certainly got to experience that firsthand and 
And we are so delighted that you have stuck it out with us here at UT Austin because you bring so much to the table. I know I was fascinated by our first interaction. It was at the new faculty symposium a number of years ago that the Provost Teaching Fellows puts on for new faculty at UT. And I, I had signed up for the, the Blanton lunch and then discovered that you were going to take us on a tour, but that on this tour, you were going to connect growth mindset with this number of different art experiences. And I was totally captivated. So could you tell us a little bit about how you've built that connection between art and growth mindset? Maybe share any of your favorite stories. I could have you tell us about this all day long. Thank you, Dexie. Absolutely. When I first arrived at the museum, the the program had been only a few years in existence, this kind of strong education program. So I was the second person to take this role as museum educator for the university audience. And prior to that, the museum was really supporting these strong curricular connections. So it was classes that, you know, were studying power in the classroom and how can we find works of art in the galleries that might support this different type of learning, a kind of an extension of the classroom. But that that felt right and robust at the time, but perhaps because of my creative background, I was seeing these connections that were popping up everywhere. And the one connection was when I discovered the University Leadership Network Programme. And that was partly because of our director's involvement, um, Simone Witcher. She really wanted us to bring on board the ULN interns for that fall semester. I think it was in um, 2015. And I was learning a lot about what it meant to be a first-generation university student at UT. And then I was thinking about my own experience as a first-generation an immigrant student at Fitch University in South Africa. And then when I was teaching in South Africa, I was teaching at that very pivotal moment where South Africa was transitioning from an apartheid dehumanizing regime to a democratic country. But then we were teaching students who were first-generation And as a white educator, I was teaching students who did not look like me. And I'm trying in those very early learning and teaching moments to think about things that we understand now, belonging, relevance, meaning, purpose. And I had some strong intuitions and some good instincts in those kind of early teaching moments. But when I discovered the ULN and the program that it stood for and who those students were, and I started to collaborate with teaching experiences with those students, I found the text, the defining text, that Carol Dweck mindset text. And that was when those kind of two ideas started to merge. I was thinking about, well, I I can see a way of teaching growth mindset as a component of a gallery experience, because not only are we going to be thinking about the belonging aspect of a museum, because The museum space has not always been known to be welcome to everyone. So we're thinking about what that might feel like as we move through the museum space, but also what it might feel like when we use works of art to practice that challenge and that failure that can happen in a growth mindset experience. So we'd find works of art that were either really very complex and chaotic to make sense of. We might do a fun activity where the students would have to find a fragment like match up a detail um, between a fragment that I give them and the complexity of the artwork that they're seeing. But sometimes I'd throw in 
red herring. So it would be a fragment from another work of art by the artist, but not the one they're standing in front of. And then we would kind of talk about what it meant to fail in that moment, to not be successful. And they were not successful for any other reason than my mischievous spirit. Like they were not successful, not because they didn't try their hardest to find that kind of detail matchup. It was because it was an impossible task. And then we would sort of unpack with their mentors how they could find when they do fail at things that seem you know, challenging or difficult, how could they seek help, get advice? What are kind of some of the structures on campus that can support them and um, figure out this kind of journey forward to success? So the museum space became this kind of microcosm of teaching growth mindset through the experience itself through the space, but also through engagements with works of art. Have I answered your question, Dixie? Oh, you have answered my question, and it's a beautiful story, and I know I've benefited from it, as have many others. And I think Jen, in particular, has been able to, to tap into the riches of what, you're, what you have to offer. So I'm going to pass it to her to visit with you yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, well, I was just thinking as you were talking, Siobhan, I'm like, oh, okay, I see where all this <laughs> It's great to hear the background of all this. So you and I have worked together for several years, clearly less than six, but it seems like several years on an art and science program. So I teach an upper division cell biology class and I take my students over to the Blanton for the, a three hour experience because that's how long the lab is. And we do close looking, interpretation with and without context, practice with channeling creative thought and a whole bunch more that you've designed over the years. I just sort of follow your lead, of course. And students love this. And what's so special to me about this is that these are students, they're pre-meds, they're pre-graduate students in science. They are science, all classes, all the time. And I don't know how many of them do choose to go out of their way to visit the Blanton or have any sort of arts experience. So for me, this is a very special opportunity for them. And I love that you're there to guide them because it's perfect match. So I know that my class wasn't the first class you did this with. I think I ended up talking with a colleague and got got this idea to contact you. So when did you start working with the sciences? So Jen, we, we work with every college, every school, every department. So just to kind of contextualize the work that we do, art and art history and studio students, which are kind of the students that you think, you know, should be in the museum, they come and we have a, a very large percentage of our general groups that we support. They come through interactions and tours and engagements with their own faculty and TAs. So we don't worry about the students who are expert in you know, studying art history or looking or making. We want your students, Jen. <laughs> we want the students from the College of Natural Science. We want those pre-med students. We want the law students. We want the business students. We want, you know, all the liberal art. We want all those students who don't have access to looking and creativity and engaging with works of art as part of their academic experience. And so we've been working with, I think maybe Stuart Reichler, Dr. Stuart Reichler. I think maybe he was one of the very first collaborators. And this even happened before I joined the museum where he was seeing very strong connections between um, creative thinking and scientific thinking. And so he brought his students. When I took over the role, we kind of reinvented the possibilities of what could happen because then we incorporated a making activity we felt that students should have an opportunity to make in the galleries, not only think about ideas, but also kind of do the thing, the creative process themselves. 
I think what what is really important to remember, Jen, about your class is that we're constructing this experience where they are able to practice their observation skills, which is critical for their own research. So we're inviting them to slow down. We're inviting them to be present with a work of art. So this other object that they don't ever encounter really um, in their kind of normal academic experiences because they are, you know, they're very immersed in, in their research as scientists. And maybe in high school, they took an art class or maybe it was part of their kind of young self, but it's often, it often kind of falls by the way when they're in this very, you know, rigid academic program. And so when we invite them to, to be comfortable with ambiguity, comfortable with not knowing. There's absolutely no right or wrong way of looking at these works of art together. It's just the way that is filtered through your your own lens of experience. That is what we're celebrating and that is what we're inviting. And then students that are visual learners, they really come alive. And we've seen it in your class, Jen. We've seen those quiet students, sometimes a little awkward or sometimes a little shy in class when they're in front of a work of art and they can start articulating and experiencing things in a different way. We've seen how their faces shine and, and how they, their colleagues or peers are a little mesmerized by the language that they are, you know, bringing forth to their observations that often is, is not seen in the classroom situation. So teaching with works of art can can do so many different things that go beyond a curricular connection, that can build community within the class, that can practice perspective taking, that can celebrate our differences of thinking and being. It can allow us a moment to practice empathy. What else can we do, Jen? I'm thinking so many things. I mean, sky's the limit. And I know it's a podcast and no one's seeing me nodding vigorously as you are (laughs) describing exactly what happens in the students. Dixie, you were going to say, I saw you trying to... Well, and actually, as Siobhan went through that list of things, those were the things that I was going to ask about. Have you seen this happen? Because it seems like somehow, perhaps, it's because it's art. And those of us in the world of science are not as conversant oftentimes, not always. So I don't want to generalize. but. It makes me wonder if maybe our expectations about ourselves and what we should know and what we should be able to do, that what I've seen, Siobhan, in in the classes that I've been a part of with you in this is that there's a freedom to explore and to look and to think because they don't have these preconceived expectations that they should already be able to do this. Have you seen that? Absolutely, Dixie. That's that's totally um, spot on. It's we are all coming to this experience as beginners and we just beginners being open and curious about what we can discover about the artwork and who and what might be explored in that artwork, but also about ourselves and each other. And this freedom to just be authentic in this communication and this space and this kind of grouping together is so exhilarating. And as an educator, museum educator, we learn so much about students. Like we learn so much about students and about um, the artworks because we're seeing it and experiencing it through their own lens. I kind of want to build on that and turn the tables a little bit and ask Jen and Dixie, why did you think your class would benefit? What made you think there was space in that curriculum dominated by science, biology, kinesiology, where the museum 
would fit in. And, you know, I probably didn't initially think about that connection until, I mean, I was talking with Stuart and then I met Siobhan at a, at probably the new faculty orientation event and began to think of the possibility. And it was, it was very quick after that, that I realized that a lot of the things that we'd go through, I mean, as, as Siobhan mentioned, there's a thousand things that come out of this experience of really hard to quantify, but what made me feel like there was a direct connection to what my students need beyond their sort of mental health and well-being was this idea of being present and looking at something closely. And we do a lot of exercises that Siobhan asked us to do. One is this very interesting exercise where we're looking at a fairly large sculpture and we have them not pick up their pencil, but simply look at the sculpture and not look down and draw a continuous line and notice how the line continues all the way through and the whole thing. So, and it's like five minutes of very attentive, present work. And what's so fascinating to me is that students, once they're able to look, first of all, they feel very queasy about doing this because they're like, well, if I don't look down, I can't do it right. And Siobhan's like, that's kind of the point. <laughs> she doesn't say it because she's super nice, but you know, she'll, you know, so she's like, just trust me and do the thing. And, and so there's all this, a little bit of awkwardness at the end of that experience. Like, oh, I, oh, look, it's not the same. It's not right. And, but then we start pulling out what you did gain from that, what observation you made that you never would have seen had you not been staring at that thing constantly for five minutes. And so all kinds of little experiences like this, then when we go back into lab, and we're looking at images under the microscope or data that they've generated, look at it closely. What can you take from it outside of any other kind of context? What can you know? And it helps them kind of look at data from a fresh perspective that I think is super important, that they're not coming to it with all kinds of assumptions about what should be happening. So I think it's been incredibly beneficial. And I think over the years, we've been really successful at making that case for the students so that they we have them write reflection papers all of them will write about how this experience has either changed or supported their idea of the benefit of having this experience. Yeah, and I think for me, Steph, one, I would you know concur with everything that Jen has said. The beauty of being able to introduce students to this is that Siobhan is able to get them thinking and seeing this way when they're in their early 20s. I was most struck at the new faculty symposium for all of us who, you know, mainly have a PhD or at least, a you know, some type of graduate degree. And she was able to lead us through um, probably the most impactful for me was was when you gave us the pieces, the snippets of the pictures and we had to wander around and try to match them. And it was so community building. We were we couldn't do it. And it was so important for us as faculty members even. And I think I, I would say, speaking for my group, because we were partnered together as a group, that that we we learned to work together and and it just opened our eyes to getting getting ourselves thinking about how can we have our students begin to enter into experiences like this to where it's okay to not have that right answer, even though we're used to trying to get to the right answer. And so I was so excited about this growth mindset connection that that we created a little bit of a team and an attempt to develop an online module together. And Siobhan and her team and a group of movement experts with me, we worked together. This was pre-COVID and <laughs> the online module, maybe Siobhan, if we had been able to pull it off, we could have you know, changed the world during COVID. 
But at this point, we're probably saying what the world needs now is not another online class. So, <laughs> but it, it's really that ex, it's the, it's the experiential nature of it. And then I would also say, I think that Siobhan is, is a gifted teacher and she's able to lead and to guide us through that process. Thanks for helping me think about as instructors where you see the museum. Siobhan, I wonder what you make of those reflections about what they were looking for. Well, I, I just to go to um, Dixie's point about our growth mindset intervention that we had imagined, I don't think our moment is lost. I almost think our moment is even more right because we have developed these digital resources in the last part, the fall semester of last year where the museum was closed or we were not hosting groups in the galleries. So we've we sort of done the prototype and now we're starting to do additional resources, digital resources this spring. And I think having a growth mindset intervention could be extraordinary and something that we could share, you know, across the university, but also across different universities within the country. Oh, absolutely. I'm so delighted to hear that because I think, you know, I will speak for Jen and Stephanie, but I think as faculty members. We have really seen students in a challenging place and really trying to figure out how to navigate the, the, the variety of issues that have come up in the past year. And so I wonder if just briefly you could tell us about what is your favorite module or your favorite piece that you've developed in this virtual world? Sure. Thank you for that opportunity. We started with a think tank session last spring where we realized that we wouldn't be able to have groups of people in the galleries. And um, the think tank involved faculty and staff and colleagues on campus to brainstorm with us with limited resources, what are the big buckets of ideas? And through that experience, we came up with three. Thinking through art, so using works of art to practice critical thinking and creative thinking. Artists and social justice. And the third one is community and well-being. And the first two modules were really about trying to translate what we do in the galleries to a digital format. So it's either myself or the director of education hosting and kind of walking students and faculty through what it, what it feels like to look closely at a work of art, then bite-sized chunks. So there are these videos that can be incorporated either synchronously in a Zoom experience or asynchronously with independent learning. But then the third module is the one that where we started to really start thinking more broadly about how we can expand what it means to share art in this digital realm. And we designed um, a series called Community and Wellbeing. They're one minute animations. So using a work of art, it's animated in a very cool way. And it's got two prompt questions that help community building within a classroom experience or a group setting, as well as a takeaway of how you can have this, this idea following you through the world. And those have been delightful and well-received and a way to kind of energize a Zoom session, which is deeply disembodied. You know, it's a very difficult space to teach in, but it doesn't matter what subject the faculty partners are teaching in that lesson. A little one-minute energizer connecting with the work of art, connecting with the class and, and students with each other can just enliven a moment, um, which is unexpected and poetic. Siobhan, I also want to pick up on another thing that you mentioned earlier, 
about building empathy and sympathy through art. I teach in international relations and global studies, and art can be this window into a world that looks different than the one we grew up in, maybe, or And art today is at the center of many political protests and expressions for a demand for inclusion. And I'll play a little devil's advocate here. Sometimes museums solidify ideas of difference, whether that's because our artists are predominantly coming from our dominant social identities or museums organize art in a way that sort of rarify these differences. How do you see the Blanton today really sort of demonstrating some of the best practices in museum work? Thanks, Stephanie. That's a great question. So just kind of first and foremost, we are in the process of doing a very thorough DEAI assessment and evaluation, both of like every aspect of our museum. So it's going from our board members to our staff, to our hiring practices, to our membership, to the artworks that we have in our galleries, to the artworks that come through our permanent, uh, sorry, our traveling exhibition. So we're really understanding like who are we as an institution? What artwork are we showcasing? And how is that going to inform our mission statement going forward? I am so incredibly proud to say that the museum has been fighting for many years to break that very white dominant viewpoint. And so we are in no way in a perfect situation, but as an educator and with a real focus to teach about diverse perspectives, lived perspectives, I've always found enough material in the museum to teach from. And so whether it's special exhibitions like Making Africa, a continent of contemporary design or whether it's contemporary Aboriginal art or whether it's Jeffrey Gibson, a Choctaw Cherokee gay man, you know, we are, we are showcasing very diverse lived experiences. In terms of a curatorial focus, I can't talk completely to that since it's not my role, but we have a focus on collecting Texas artists, both mid-career and kind of more with international experience, but also women artists and artists of colour. So our curatorial mission is poised um, to do the right work. Of course, it's always about resources and support from our donors. But in, in terms of having enough material to teach from, we we are so well positioned and that is that makes our job and our work much easier and more engaging with with our student body because we want to teach, uh, you know, we want to teach and and showcase artwork that represent who our students are. Dixie mentioned earlier about and in transitioning, thinking about teaching to now the students. She had mentioned earlier how gifted you were to do this work, and I don't mean to embarrass you. But I think it is absolutely true. And I know many of us who work with you and had the pleasure of working with you know that's true. Because I think a lot of what you do with the students, it requires a bit of vulnerability on their part and introducing them to not knowing what the rules are and not knowing how to interact with art appropriately, quote unquote. And and so I think what you bring to this experience is crucial because I know that my students within five, I mean, you know, I'm always like, Siobhan's the best thing since sliced bread. So, I mean, they kind of go, all right, whatever, let's check this out. But I think within five minutes, they see that because 
In all seriousness, the way you interact with students is so warm and welcoming and completely judgment-free and completely open to what they might have to offer. And I always joke, I know I've told this before, but I always joke with my students, I would love to have like a little Siobhan on my shoulder all day validating my existence. <laughs> so, I mean, you know. So, I think, you know. Jan, it's the question, what would Siobhan do? Yeah, what would Siobhan do? I know. <laughs> Dixie, you know exactly what I'm saying. She's really, okay. So again, I know that this is probably uncomfortable for you, but I think it's so important to mention, like, not only are you doing all this work and planning, you know, these lesson plans and stuff with students, but there is that also that crucial element that you're able to navigate it in a way that makes students want to respond. I mean, it's one thing to have a lesson plan. It's another thing to be able to deploy it properly. It's a weird word to use to put it in action in a way that's inviting to everyone. wondering about, and I'm going to get you off the spot now because I know this is awkward for you. I was wondering about your own experiences personally. What perspectives have you gained from working with students across our university campus, maybe particularly the ULN students? What is it? University Leadership Network or other first gens? What first generation students? What have you gained over the years? I, I mean, I think the exchange of ideas is, you know, incalculable in a way. I mean, I, ULN students or other students who are part of success programs, whether it's McComb scholars who we work with as well, Ramshorn scholars, the foundation scholars and the College of Liberal Arts, it's students who have this fresh curiosity about the world. They're bringing a unique perspective that is so diverse from a dominant white perspective. And I think it's critical that their voices are amplified. And so A museum experience is a a place where their voices can be amplified and their perspectives can be amplified and our understanding can be deepened. Our understanding about some of the challenges that first-generation students might face, but also a unique understanding of community and belonging and respect and culture, cultural ingenuity and creativity that students I might be bringing to our conversation. So it feels it feels like it's rich on so many levels. And really what I can do in the museum is provide an opportunity for these voices to be heard and and their kind of creative, kind of creative heart of who they are in their communities can be, you know, brought to the conversation in a way that is meaningful, respectful, and thought-provoking. That's wonderful. You know, we've been hearing some rumblings that the Blanton is undergoing a new grounds initiative. And I want to make sure before we leave today that you get a chance to tell us a little bit about what's what the plans are. It sounds very exciting. <laughs> the plans are so exciting. So we are breaking ground next week, although officially I think some of the ground has already been broken. But what's <laughs> happening is we are reimagining the whole Blanton campus. So currently we have two two main buildings, a magnificent artwork by Ellsworth Kelly called Austin. And we are imagining this whole campus as an extension of the museum. So currently all the joy is housed within the museum or kind of that aesthetic joy is within the museum. And we want to bring that out um, into the campus experience. And we are creating 15 metal structures that look like petals growing from the ground. They're going to have these extraordinary dappled perforations or perforations in this structure that will create 
this dappled light during the day, incandescent light at nighttime. The petals are reminiscent of some of the architectural architectural curves that we see um, around the, the, the buildings currently, but they're going to be a way to provide shade, expose the plaza area between the two buildings for community events, for performances, for music, for gatherings of K-12 children, families. We're going to have some permanent stages. The cafe is being reimagined to have this gorgeous outside, inside dining experience. We're going to have 25,000 new plants planted in the area, wooden walkways from Brazos Garage. The front of the museum is going to be reimagined. Our admissions building are going to be shifted. It's just going to be this glorious, wonderful place on campus for students and faculty and staff to come rejuvenate, hang out with friends and colleagues um, and explore the museum collection at the same time. So we are we are very excited. Hopefully all will be open and ready by next next fall. But throughout all of this construction, we are still open to the public. And we see that all the time. You know, right now they already love that green space and the Ellsworth building. And just to imagine the amplification of that and the expansion of that. I think you've convinced us we want to we want to go. We're ready to come join you in the new space. So it's the outdoor Blanton almost. <laughs> yeah. I can almost hear all those families and the K through 12 folks enjoying that space. Blantonmuseum.org and you'll be able to see extraordinary architectural renditions, you know, plans and beautiful visual descriptions of what this um, new space is going to look like. This is so exciting. And Siobhan, before we wrap up, would you mind telling us how we might be able to access some of those those short things that might be able to be embedded into our courses and where we could access those as well? Perfect. Blantamuseum.org. You'll see on our menu under education, you'll click on education. Um, there'll be another pop down for university resources and everything that you need is on the university resource page. And of course, people are welcome to email me. My email address is on that page as well. I'd love to hear from anyone who is curious and eager for a new collaboration. Can I just say too, you know, thanks for that work, that creative work, because that space, as Dixie is suggesting, often becomes a rejuvenating space for me. I've spent time in the Ellsworth Kelly piece largely to try and find a space to pull it together and to think creatively, right? It's a quiet space and oftentimes good ideas in my own research or my own work in the classroom come when I give my brain some new space and that artwork really creates that opportunity for creativity. So it's such a gift to everything that goes on on campus. I really appreciate your work. We want to finish with a final question for you. And this is one we're always interested to hear. So what are you personally working on right now? Like, where's your edge? What are you sort of striving to discover or learn? I love that question. And I think many, you probably all know, and maybe um, many faculty on on campus are already very familiar with Mihai Chicks and Mihai's work on creativity. But as a creative person, I've always been, I've always had a 
an intuitive response to creativity. But now I understand the imperative nature of how creativity should be part of everyone's experience because creativity is about imagining the not yet imagined. It's about putting a little idea next to a little idea next to a little idea and coming up with big ideas. And we need these big ideas right now because never before have we had to imagine a future that is not predictable. And so where I've, I've kind of known about creativity because it's just part of me, but now I've got language and I've got scientific background and proof and um, I can understand how as creativity is in, intrinsic to our, like it's the most intrinsic thing, the most fundamental thing to what it means to be human, what separates us from different species. We need to activate that creativity in all of our students, not so that they you know, can be good drawers, but so that they can think about solving problems that we are encountering on a daily basis for our, for our, the benefit of our future and for our and children. For our children. Here, here. Cheers. Well said. Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Very well said. And, and we, we are with you and hoping that you not just attain that edge, but you cross over that edge and it, it gets bigger and more beautiful and bountiful than you can even imagine. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very good. Thanks so much, Siobhan. This was wonderful. Uh, now I just want to go to campus and walk around the Blanton. Dixie, that was an amazing conversation. I know we're big fans. What stood out to you? Well, you know, I think every time Jen I talk with Siobhan, it all stands out. And she she can go through a list of, you know, compassion and empathy and growth and helping students discover you know, untold riches in any piece of art that she shares with them. And, and I really think that it, it's the, that depth and that nuance that, that really sets her apart as an educator. Likewise, I learned so much from watching her work with students and that it really empowers and inspires my own teaching with them and how she's able to show them that they can be vulnerable by creating that space. That's something that I always... I'm really inspired by. So I've learned a lot just from watching her work with students. Stephanie, what about you? What what did you take away from that? For sure, one piece in addition to what you all mentioned is this idea that, you know, the classroom doesn't necessarily live within those walls of that room. We know that through our online virtual Zoom life, but also we can think about that in terms of where is information? Is it necessarily in peer-reviewed journal articles or on an Excel spreadsheet that we can run through our well, it's also in art and we learn so much about ourselves and others through that medium. And then the ability to model for our students, maybe lifestyle choices like visiting the local museum periodically where you live, engaging in art, either art production or observing other art. And that, that's a beautiful habit to have is to include art in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think in line with that, Steph, what, what Jen was saying about student reflections, I have found that the impact of this on students, they remember this way longer than they remember what was on that Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> that is the truth. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Nice to do this with you guys. 
You've been listening to The Other Side of Campus, a production of the Provost Teaching Fellows at the University of Texas at Austin. Our executive producer is Mary Newberger. Our producer is Michelle Daniel. And our music and sound design are by Charlie Harper Music at charlieharpermusic.com. For more information, please visit us online at texasptf.org. We hope you'll join us next time on The Other Side of Campus. Thank you. Thank you.